That's the band Enigma. And in just a minute, we're going to tell you about uh, where they're playing tonight. Just because I can, get ready for something totally different. Out of the blue of the western sky comes Sky King. There we go. I did that a couple years ago when I had somebody that actually called into the station and said, excuse me, what program am I listening to? <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of funny, you know, because I mentioned a few minutes ago, I pulled up in front of the building here and I was picking up another 89.3. And, uh, of course... Being the radio guru that I am, I know that that's VHF propagation that happens sometimes in the summertime. But, uh, you know, if you're driving down the highway listening to a radio station and suddenly another radio station takes over the frequency, you're kind of going, what's going on here? Is it aliens or <laughs> the military messing with me? or what? No, it's Mother Nature playing with the radio waves. For more information on radio propagation, please call Jim Shorney at 402 402- or look for me on the HF ham bands. You are a ham. I am. Okay, with us also is Colleen. And uh, are those three kinds of red? Um, I mean, they're different markers. <laughs> She's got markers different there. Different chip sizes, I'm it, sure. Because like, like the, this one here is like, it's big and it's broad. It's not quite a chisel tip. Right. Mm -hmm. um, this one's more fine. And with this one, you could actually have, if you use it really slowly, like a paintbrush, you could mm -hmm. have a really light shade of red, or if you push hard, and it makes it darker. Yeah, well, it's, then, it's the well-provisioned artist. Yeah, then it's just a regular old Sharpie. Sharpie. We get to see Colleen's art sometimes as it emerges mm -hmm. from her creative spirit as we do the show here. She's uh, uh, usually drawing and doing something very interesting, so... Maybe at some point, Colleen, you'll have a show that we can announce. That'd be <laughs> yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I use for my gym when I, when I paint or draw? I use a paintbrush six inches wide. That's what I use. <laughs> you know, nothing delicate about me. Just smear it around. And when I paint or draw, I just have somebody else do it. Well, let's let's officially start the show now, and let's hope that our opening guest, through all that, has stuck with us. I'm sure she has. This should be Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. Hi, Charlene. Good morning. Hey, speaking of comedy, I saw Bob Downing on 10-11, and I saw the pet escape. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Tell me all about it. Oh, he had this really cool-looking husky dog. And um, the 1011 host was talking with Bob, and they had the dog right there. And then apparently, the husky had been biting on his collar, and had actually bit through the collar. So when the the 1011 host tried to hold him by the collar, the collar let go, and the dog just scampered away. Oh yeah! <laughs> then you heard somebody <laughs> off camera say, "Ha ha ha! I'll get him! I'll get him!" <laughs> I've heard that some of Bob's shows can be highly amusing. Yeah. Yeah, that's live television. Live TV. <laughs> kind of like what we got here with the live radio, except with Exactly. Pictures. You never really know what's going to happen. That's, that's for sure. Speaking of, what's happening with you guys this weekend? 
Uh, we are having a great weekend here at Capital Humane Society. It's warm, but our dog walkers are still coming in, but they're using good judgment, just like we want pet owners in Lincoln to do. It's just so hot, so mm-hmm. keep those outings short. Um, it's best to exercise your pet in the cooler morning hours or maybe later evening hours if they're going to go out for more than just a little break. Yeah. Um, so. We're very fortunate, though. We have um, great volunteers who come in, whether it's really hot or really snowy, and make sure that our pets or our dogs get the exercise they need and our cats get the love that they need. So we're so, so grateful for that. Interestingly enough, cats are okay with the hot weather uh, <laughs> because, for one thing, their their body temperature is higher than a human's, so they can tolerate mm-hmm. it better. But uh, they're descended from African desert cats. So uh, my we have a little catio at home yeah. and my cats like to go out there for a little while but they're still ready to come in the <laughs> AC after a bit cuz sometimes it's just too warm. Yeah, when when Mac is outside, he loves the backyard. It's his movie. He lays out there and looks around and he really enjoys it. So, during the heat of the day when it's this darn hot, I bring him inside and he looks at me and he's got this look like uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're bringing me in now. But he promptly curls up and takes a nap. Hey, Donna, um, these guys don't know this yet, but I want to tell you just very briefly, we also have time to kill this morning. <laughs> but, uh, Charlene, I want to tell you a little bit about what happened to Mac the good dog. Okay. Last Last Sunday, he started to exhibit symptoms of what might be a stroke. Oh. And so... I quickly went on the internet and researched the symptoms, and there is a disease that's called old dog uh, vestibular syndrome or vestibular mm-hmm. disease, and uh-huh. it's uh, idiopathic, which means sometimes we don't know what causes it. Some of the symptoms mimic a stroke, and it's benign. It's not considered to be life-threatening. But what a dog, an older dog, will do is that they will get this head tilt and uh-huh. they, will, they will turn circles in the direction of the tilt. They get wobbly and unsteady. They lose, it's like an inner ear thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes there's the, uh, uh, the aspect of, of nausea with them. So uh, Dr. Jacobson is our vet, really good guy. So I took Mac promptly Monday over to see him. And we did a complete workup and said, nope, it's not a, not a stroke. He looks like he's really healthy. Looks like this is like what you think, old dog vestibular syndrome. So I said to Mac, at least you've got something that I can say. <laughs> you know, I can get this. And so he, he's steadily been showing signs of improvement. Um, he's still not eating a lot, uh, but he's... Um, He's now able to walk without falling over on his right side. And uh, so I still try to help him over some of the hard surfaces, but he's, uh, he's comfortable. He's reengaged with, with the outdoors, and so uh, he's bouncing back. I actually had a dog several years ago that had that, and it was very unnerving to see, and I rushed him to the vet and was told like you were what was going on and uh, for quite a while we used the sling to walk him so that he we could help keep him going you know straight and and not walking in circles and uh, but it is a little unnerving but once you know you know what's going on then uh, you just cope with it 
Yep, and I understand that um, that this is also something that humans get. And I had one of my minister friends that said, that's what I had a couple years ago. <laughs> you had the old dog disease. Well, yeah, the equivalent that, you know. I just I just find it, in, uh, you know, in, in all seriousness, this isn't a problem, but I just find it yeah. incredibly amusing, a disease that starts with the words old dog. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you can research it. You know, it's, it's uh, dad had this uh, vertigo thing, this inner ear thing when we were kids, and it was so bad for a couple of days that mom had to put pillows along both sides of him in bed because he would actually roll off the bed, mm -hmm. not knowing which way was up and down. So um, when, when in doubt, get your dog or cat to the vet, Yes. right? Okay. Absolutely. Excellent advice. They are the professionals. Well, well con a consulting doctor internet is helpful. That's not the final authority. Get advice from a professional. This is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and I did by mistake call her Donna earlier, and I'm sorry, but it's Charlene. We know it's Charlene. And, uh, oh, yeah, all this week I, I taught a class, and one of the guest instructors was Emma, and she <laughs> turned out to be Emily <laughs> half a dozen times. And she would say, okay, Brad, up, uh, Scott. Okay. Now, we've got cats for adoption and some cute cats they are. If you follow along at CapitalHumaneSociety.org, you too can see the cat we're talking about. And here's Charlene to start us off. We'll start with Angel. And she is a little angel. She's two years old, <laughs> the domestic short hair. Look at how pretty she is. <laughs> and she's looking for a wonderful family that will give her a happy home. She's got that paw raised. She's saying, that toy comes any closer, I'm going to swat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what a tree kitty. Okay, Angel's a gorgeous cat. Neat markings around the throat, almost like a collar there, and on the forelegs. So take a look at Angel. And her buddy is? Arlo. And Arlo is sporting a very handsome uh, bow tie. He's about a year old, a Siamese mix. So he's the flame point with the orange points, blue eyes. Uh, wants to be your only cat, but he's a lovable, playful cat and will be a fine companion. Mm -hmm. Great looking cat. Yeah. Of course, my mind goes to the singer, you know, Arlo Guthrie. You can get anything you want at Capital Humane Society. Society. <laughs> Except... Well, we've got a, probably an Alice at times, too. So, Okay, <clears throat> frivolity here. Does Arlo have blue eyes? Wow. Angel, Arlo, and? That's cool. Nick. And Nick is a black cat with fluffy fur. He's about a year old. Oh. He's dreaming of meeting nice people, having a home where there's nice soft beds and delicious food for dinner. Um, really a playful mm -hmm. and uh, social cat. I don't, uh, Jim and, and Colleen, I don't know what that is, but uh, this Nick has got a shade of black that there's sort of some light highlights in there, and it just makes you want to, like, pet him. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like, he does. Uh, like a gossamer. Yeah, yeah it's kind of, I think it's a form of brindle, I believe. I may be wrong. Yeah, beautiful cat. Okay, Nick joins the list here. And black cats are not bad luck. I've had two of them, and I'm fine. I think you're right. <laughs> and they are 
uh, generally speaking, they are very sociable and they love to be in your lap. Besides information on radio propagation, I'm contact a, Jim Shorty. I'm for also a cat expert. How about that? <laughs> information on black cats. Angel, Arlo, and Nick. And here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center will be open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. And uh, let's talk about dogs for adoption. Let's also talk about, for both cats and dogs, again, let's talk about this high heat and how we can help our pets. Uh, it's just really important to use good common sense mm. when you're um, exercising your pets. Uh, sometimes they just don't know to stop. So I have met Labradors that will just chase that ball if you keep throwing it. So mm -hmm. we have to be smart and stop throwing it <laughs> so that they don't end up suffering from heat stress or heat stroke. Um, those things are all preventable and please never Leave your pet in a parked car, Never, even with the windows cracked. Ever, it not gets, even, yeah. not even for a minute. Yes, don't, it just, just gets hot don't. so fast, and it's just so preventable. So please, mm -hmm. please um, use good judgment. Uh, this is Charlene with Dogs for Adoption. You can follow along again at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And here's our first dog. So we're going to do our two pairs, starting with Boone and Bodie. Sometimes we get um, animals that come in together that are very bonded, and that's the case with uh, Boone and Bodie. Boone is a Chihuahua mix, and Bodie is a miniature pincher. Really cute. They really like each other. They love to play and go for walks together. However, they don't care for other dogs, so they want to be the only <laughs> two dogs in your home. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It looks like a Doberman, only smaller. Yep, yep. They are very cute. Just wow, like a... It's like a little stuffed toy almost. Boone and Bodie, two cool-looking dogs. Yeah. And they want to be your only dogs. Adopt them both and have twice the fun. And um, although they don't especially care for their neighbor, their neighbor is. <laughs> <laughs> so our other perfect pair is Lanai and Maui, and they are three-year-old Chihuahua mixes. Um they are best friends as well, but also don't care for other dogs, so want to be the only two in the home. So if you're looking for two dogs, you could consider one of these perfect pairs. Um, they are very sweet. I had them out today, and they were just very easygoing, uh, looking for a family that will take excellent care of them. Okay, Maui and Lanai. Looks like there's a little bit of Hawaiian influence in there. I think uh -huh. it says the guy in the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> Again, their pictures are up, and when you click on the picture, which is a thumbnail, the mix expands, and there's more information about the dogs uh, and previous to the cats. So, uh, capitalhumanesociety.org, and we've got two pairs of cool dogs, and do you have a third single dog for us? Let's do Redo. Redo is a 10-year-old Rottweiler mix, and super, super nice. Just an easy-going guy, distinguished, loves to have his belly rubbed. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a laid-back friend, ask about him. I maybe have mentioned it, but years ago I played touch football with a Rottweiler. I <laughs> bet <laughs> the Rottweiler won, did it? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if the Rottweiler was playing flanker and went out there for a block, yeah, you you ran the other way. <laughs> so, redo, what a cool-looking dog. I love that coat color, the intelligent look there on the dog's face. Yes, take exactly. A, take a look at the picture of redo at capitalhumanesociety.org. Okay, and uh, here's hours open today and tomorrow.
You can meet these great pets at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We are open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Uh, Shirley, happy 4th of July, and uh, I hope you have a safe and wonderful holiday. Thank you, and to Bob and all the folks for all the great work that you continue to do for us in our community. We appreciate everything you do. You have a happy 4th, too. Uh, what cool pets. I love it. Yeah, lots of cool names today. Redo. I just love that. <laughs> Make the Capital Humane Society the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn, and next up is We Don't Know What the Heck We're Doing. <laughs> Live radio. That's the name of this segment. <laughs> Our segment guests today are Scott, Colleen, and moi. <laughs> moi. moi. So it's it's the... By the calendar, it's the fifth Saturday, mm -hmm. and we don't we don't have a second opening guest scheduled for the fifth Saturday, so it's just us, just mm -hmm. us. And uh, Colleen, yeah, let's pick on Jim. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to. You have a cat? You have a question about cats or about radio? Then you know, <laughs> yeah, that's go right. for it. Come on, bring it on. Yeah, come on. Um, so here's one, Jim, for you for radio. All righty. What do you think the chances are that when we started to be able to broadcast a radio transmission, that because of propagation, maybe there was a UFO going by that suddenly over their intercom had this sort of bleed through and they said, what in the heck is that? We've got some sort of interference here. Well, you know, it could happen. So there have been some researchers that have speculated that we had an increase in sightings after we were first able to start doing those radio mm -hmm. broadcasts. You know, we always think about the, the, uh, the other intelligent beings as having the same sort of technology in a way that we do. Like they're, they're riding around in spaceships with their transistor radios on and flicking through the dials and they catch something here from our neck of the galaxy. Yeah, and I, I assume that that's probably what you would do uh, just, just like they do on Star Trek, you know, they, they look for electromagnetic mm -hmm. radiations and, and uh, stuff like that, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, That's, and I think yeah. I think one good example of like this thought experiment, so so to speak, is like um, like the film adaptation of Contact is like the opening sequence of the movie is basically, you know, the camera zooming out from Earth, and all you can hear is the different sets of radio that had been mm -hmm. released over the years, and. And then later on in the movie, when they send back, you know, the the first the German Olympics with, you know, he who should not be named, <laughs> um, his announcement because that was the first ever televised thing on on our planet, and that was what they picked up was like, oh, they they figured out how they work video and transmit video, so yeah, I guess they're intelligent. <laughs> Yeah, that, that basis was uh, the movie Galaxy Quest. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 
that they 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 had this whole Star Trek thing uh, down that they they were imitating. That what great movie? That's a great movie. Uh, uh, I also like how like those aliens were like such big fans of that mo- that um, that TV and series. They, they think too. it's real. And <laughs> yeah, they do all the hand salutes and all that stuff. Um. So we have uh, every fourth Saturday we have a new segment guest, Brent Rains. And um, I like Brent a lot because he has got a broad, inquisitive mind. Mm -hmm. And he is going to remind us that some of the reports that we get have actually been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to pick on the UFO subject to the exclusion of other aspects of the paranormal because Brent and I and you and... Our listeners are interested in a lot of things. Uh, Brent would remind us that some of these have existed in our legends, in folklore, in our traditions, in our in our cultural histories for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we live in this quote unquote modern era, we assume that some of this stuff has only been happening right now, and it's actually been happening for a long time. And mm-hmm. what I've liked, Colleen, I am not a student of Native American history or wisdom. I've had some experience with individuals where I've learned a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I've learned is that the Native American traditions have this in their culture and personal history. And it's not something that's regarded as being separate from existence. It's part of the whole fabric of, of life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's psychologically sound. I think that's appropriate. I think that is the way it should be. It's like when Three Eagles said, what's so super about natural? I love that comment. I just have always liked that. Okay, we just had a call. Yeah, we've, we've got a caller that, that uh, wants to comment on, on what you said about UFOs and the passing by with the radio and stuff. <laughs> Okay, you are right there on the We Don't Know What We're Doing segment of the show. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, please speak up. Okay, uh, is, that, is that a little better? No, just go ahead with your comments, please. You're on okay. the air. All right, real quick. Uh, uh, yeah, I was calling about, uh, I talked to you before, Scott. Uh, long story short, I have been out to Silicon Valley uh, for the uh, first, the inaugural uh, uh, History Channel's Alien, ancient aliens. Uh, they had an alien convention, alien con, back in 2016. And one of the people that I got, you know, all the you know famous people you see on that show, Ancient Aliens, I saw pretty, in, in person all of them, including Nick Pope. And those who follow the show, they know Nick Pope. He, he used to work for the UK government, uh, 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 some kind of security thing. I forgot exactly. Minister of Defense. But, yeah. Thank you. I forgot. It. Thank you. And uh, uh, but of course he's now known for paranormal ufologist and all that. He took the time and he's very gracious of him. He took it like we chatted for about three minutes or something like that. And uh, we were talking about like the, I forgot that there's a terminology for it where radio the radiation as it propagates uh, the waves actually dissipate mm-hmm. over time. And actually, it, it's unless there's an alien culture, and I would think. I'm a skeptic, to be honest with you, but if there were, I would think they would have to be local. And when I say local, as in somewhere within our solar system, 
or the outer edge. Forget about the rest of the galaxy. The reason why, because as radio waves propagated, they dissipate sure. to the point where it's, it's, it's gone. Yeah, it's, of course, uh, energy never totally vanishes. But this is one my point, Scott, and, and uh, audience and everyone else. What is the likelihood that has, because the radio waves now that we started with, I forgot, was it 19, 18, 19, for the first radio station in Pittsburgh? I forgot. So you think about how long it's about 100 years ago, right? Okay. That, those radio waves are, for all intended purposes, gone already. They, they blended, you know, so much. Uh, it's like taking a squirt gun and then squirting it into the Pacific Ocean. And that, that water has already been dissipated. The radio waves have basically dissipated from our first broadcast day uh, about 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. What is the likelihood that it's going to reach some alien culture unless they just ask the need to ask if they exist? Well, that's uh, that's a great point. If they happen to be passing by Earth, can hear it. It just it just seems improbable, improbable to me personally. What's your guys? And that's that's a great point. And what you're talking about is the inverse square law, which is uh, a law that that states that radio waves decrease in strength as as the square of the distance. And if you you literally paint a square on a balloon and then blow the balloon up, you can see the same effect. So, yeah, they reach a point where they're essentially part of the cosmic background noise. And uh, you're right. Okay, thanks for your comments. That was good. And thank you for helping us with this segment. We don't know what we're doing. We appreciate your call. (laughs) Great call. This is Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen. We'll take our break and then be back with our guest, Linda Zlotnick. And she's the author of Star Sisters, an astrologer's memoir of twin loss. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me neither a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Vic Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM.
today have stepped outside myself and walked on to a cloud looked down and spun myself around and had to laugh out loud so green fields roll in like a living sea and in those waves I saw all my possibilities Music from the band uh, Enigma. And uh, Jim, we were going to tell people uh, they supply the music to the show and they're they performing do. tonight. Um, yeah, I've, of course, I can't mention the business name, but uh, they're they're appearing at a winery just north of Syracuse, Nebraska this evening. And uh, if you want to know the details, you know how to get hold of me. In fact, I probably should post that to the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Yep, great, great band. Um, we sure appreciate their music. Our next guest is Linda Zlotnick, and she has a moniker or a nickname of Moon Rabbit, so we want to be sure and ask her about this. Linda Zlotnick began a serious study of astrology while an English major at the University of Minnesota, and she worked with a professional astrologer, and she began in 1977 to work with clients. She was born and, of course, grew up with a twin sister, Luann, and they were, as twins, intertwined in ways that were normal and regular and also in ways that were metaphysical with ESP stuff going on. Her twin sister, Luann, passed away, and the passing had a profound effect on Linda, and she was then led to study something brand new, astrological death charts. And she's been using these charts with her clients since 2005. The brand new book that has just been published that has this gorgeous front cover uh, of two adorable twins looking up as if they're looking to the stars. The book is titled Star Sisters, an astrologer's memoir of twin loss. Please welcome Linda Moonrabbit Zlotnick. Hi, Linda. Hi there, Scott. It's great to have you on the broadcast. And do we find you up in uh, Minnesota? Um, I, I, I live in Minnesota, but I'm currently in upstate New York at a family reunion. Oh, thank you for taking time for us. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, without being specific, is it the Minneapolis-St. Paul area that you live in? Yes. Uh, one of my favorite places, Linda, to go. 
so favorite oh, really? of mine. Yes, because I'm a guy that I will actually travel up there in February. <laughs> I have the greatest respect for you Minnesotans on how you're able to not only cope with, but move prodigious amounts of snow. And you make it seem yeah. like it's just no big deal. It's true. We're just used to it, you know? Yep. It's just normal. Yeah, I was up there as a just small aside years ago. We arrived during a blizzard, six inches already down, and uh, another six to eight inches coming down. And I thought, my gosh, this city's going to be, we're sure glad we got to our motel. This is going to be just closed down tight. We got up early the next morning. We're having breakfast and looked out. The entire parking lot's cleared. The streets are cleared. Sidewalks are cleared. <laughs> People are outside walking. And we're going, whoa, this would have shut down other cities. But this yeah, is just life yeah. in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Right. We always laugh when we care about someplace getting four inches of snow and school closing and all that kind of thing because it really has to be, like, unbelievable for that to happen in the Twin Cities. So since I know that you live up there, this is now a flash from the past, Linda, on a place that you've probably eaten at, the Old City Cafe. Doesn't ring any bells. I'm sorry. Okay, so the it, uh, they had a place in St. Paul and also one, uh, let's see, Grand and Stelling on the corner of Grand and Stelling. And yeah, it's not there. It's not there anymore. Nope. Uh, it was a no, Jewish kosher vegetarian restaurant, and a friend that oh. worked for city government said, "You got to try this place." So we went there and. My then wife and I, we absolutely loved it. Uh, they had picnic tables inside where you'd sit down. And you might sit across from a family of four people. And the waiter or waitress would come out. And then they would yell back at the top of their voice, Is the eggplant done yet? And somebody from the kitchen would say, No, I told you an hour from now. It's not done. <laughs> and it felt like home. <laughs> So I've enjoyed uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I've enjoyed um, your book also. Thank you. You grew up with a twin sister, Luann. And I did. We, we know a little bit from culture about twins, but we don't know the inside relationship such as you experienced. What were some of the the aspects of that relationship that you felt Linda were and remain in your in your memory just so very special? Well, um, it's an interesting question to ask a twin because uh, twins don't understand what it's like to grow up without this person who oh. you know is exactly their same age uh -huh. and who physically you know, resembles them really intensely. And um, my twin and I were identical. And we, you know, I, I think we did things that a lot of other twins did. We kind of developed our own little language that we used with each other. And uh, every night before bed, we would uh, 
lay in bed and we would create incredible stories that we would just kind of take turns making up. And uh, we, we would play games when we walked home from school, uh, you know, guess a number between one and a hundred and try and read each other's minds. And, and then we got pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. That's just a couple of things that I remember that were special. So, uh, young boys and young girls began to grow up chronologically, and at some point, they uh, they leave home. And who who left home first? Well, we actually left home together, okay. <laughs> but it was initiated because uh, my son had a marriage proposal. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a marriage proposal at that same time, but I was not in love with this young man while she was in love with her young man. Mm-hmm. So I uh, decided if she was getting out of the house, I was getting out of the house, too. And that's the way that it went. Mm-hmm. I moved on campus. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in your perspective now, how did you run across the subject uh, either in school or in your circle of, of friends and, and peers, the subject of astrology. How did that come up? Oh, okay. Well, um, when I was in college, some friends of mine uh, knew another college student who was studying and practicing astrology. And her um, aunt was a psychic that people in the Twin Cities raved about. And I think partly because her aunt was so well-known, you know, she was just, like, wanting to collect a lot of experience by doing readings for people. And so we we all, in my group of friends, we all volunteered to be her subject, you know. So she met with me on campus, and she had this amazing book where she looked at my birthday. And uh, during that uh, exchange, she told me some things that, I, I mean, I... She had absolutely no way of knowing these things, and yet she did. And so that's what sparked my interest right then and there, is I thought this is an amazing, amazing thing that she was able to do from just simply my birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, that got you intrigued in the subject. It and did. now you are and have been since... About 1977, was was I correct in saying that? Yes. A yes. astrologer working with clients uh, and helping them understand these planetary uh, influences on past, present, future. Can you give the audience, uh, we've all heard about astrology, for example, through the old Sidney Omar column in the paper, The Horoscope, saying... If your horoscope says that you're a Scorpio, do not cross the street today to the right. Because if you do, you're going to have something bad happen at work. Uh, But I'm also aware of a comment by J.P. Morgan that he said uh, millionaires don't use astrology. Billionaires do. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I haven't heard that one before. So give us give us a thumbnail sketch about, as you understand it, 
uh, what is astrology and the influence that it has upon our lives? Well, I'm going to start by saying that astrology has been around for thousands and thousands of years, as long as people have been looking up at the heavens. And it's believed that the early astronomers and the early astrologers, they were the same. They, the astronomers practiced astrology, and the astrologers practiced astronomy. Mm-hmm. And in many different cultures around the world, different forms of astrology evolved. So there's a Chinese astrology, and there's a Hawaiian astrology, and there's a Vedic astrology that's practiced in India. And what we use in America has kind of migrated, I would say, over from from Europe, and it's uh, very, very different even than when Sidney Omar was writing a column about astrology because it's become much, much less fatalistic and much more... Uh, based on this idea that we're all part of the universe that we live in, and that if you look at and are observant of what's happening up in the heavens, you can start to understand different kinds of patterns that might be repeating in your life. And if you know what patterns are repeating, you can be much more prepared for them than if you don't know. So that might be maybe a tiny bit too brief, because I could talk about the subject for hours. Mm-hmm. But that is your thumbnail. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it, the, the, the physical energetic relationship is that, that these planetary bodies um, through uh, gravity are influencing uh, us? No, through, here's how I would explain it to you. Mm-hmm. It is that if you believe that everything is energy or that everything has a vibration. Yes. Okay? And... It's not so much that people think, oh, astrology believes that the planets cause things to happen, which is not true. They are more like the synchronistic mirror of what already is energetically in motion. So the planets aren't out there, like Sidney Omar would say, you know, causing you to have a bad day, (laughs) you know, or the stock market to fall. But they're corresponding to an already very, very elaborate uh, cycle or energy pattern that, that has been in play. And so there would be a there would be a, a past to that, a history, um, and there is a present, and then you've got a future delineation or a future progression of that. And astrologers found that by looking at these movements of these planetary bodies, they seem to correspond to uh, individuals, uh, past, present, future, to society, to the give and flow of the fabric of life. Uh, I I don't know. That's all correct. Yeah, Jim and Colleen, I don't know if I'm correct here, but I... Seems like I remember that the the three wise men that saw the star that heralded the birth of Jesus. Um, they, and that's absolutely true. They were astrologers. So it was a triple conjunction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, they were the the kind of people that would serve um, the courts, like they would travel and give the the necessary advice mm-hmm. to whomever 
I'm not sure if I should use the term royalty because there's like different terms that they use in, the, in a lot of places yeah, were, in the Middle East, but royalty, I guess you could Yeah, say. term of respect was wise yeah. man, but they were astrologers. Mm -hmm. uh, has there been, Linda, uh, in terms of a historical perspective, has there been a, a, uh, a uh, period of time that astrology was embraced more so than other times? Um, and our present time that we find ourselves in, uh, is this subject uh, being embraced by people? Okay, so um, originally astrology, I, I, I think as that other person mentioned, it really was just for the rulership, the wealthy people, the mm -hmm. leaders. It was something that wasn't really for common people. And uh, that has really, really changed over the years. And in the 40-some years that I've been doing astrology, it has become massively popular, partly because of the Internet and, um, you know, there's so much now accessibility to really some terrible and some really excellent websites where, you know, people can study the subject. There are many, many online mm -hmm. schools that are very reputable. So I would say right now uh, it's a wonderful time to be an astrologer. And uh, I'll just tell you a funny anecdote because mm -hmm. back when I was in college and I, I met this young woman who did my horoscope, I did what anybody would have done back in the 70s, and I went to the library to see if I could find any astrology books. And there was one book available at the public library on astrology. And I'm sure now if you go certainly to any library or bookstore, there are multiple upon multiple shelves of books on right. astrology. Yep. Do you have um, uh, do you have a favorite book that you recommend to people that uh, as we have our conversation today, for those that are interested in learning more about the subject, what would be a good basic primer for people? Well, there are two uh, beginning books that I recommend to all. One is called The Inner Sky. The author is Stephen Forrest. And uh, then there's a workbook that I use with my students. It's called Astrology for Yourself. And uh, it's by Demetra George. Mm -hmm. So they're very, very different. One is just a book that you would read from beginning to end that would explain, you know, the, the zodiac signs and the planets and the different mm -hmm. positions and things. And the other one, the Astrology for Yourself, uh, it explains those things, but it has pages where you fill in things from your own horoscope and kind of learn astrology by working on your own birth chart. And I got to ask you, the, the, the moniker or nickname of Moon Rabbit, where did that come from? Well, so um, after I started studying astrology, uh, I had really, I suppose, what could be called a spiritual awakening, and I felt completely, completely different than the person I had been before, and mm -hmm. I decided I needed a new name because I did not feel like the name that my parents had given me. And so I was with some friends, and, you know, we were young, and we were in college, and we were, like, stretching, and you know, trying to experience life more broadly. And we all, there were four of us, we all picked new names for ourselves. So uh, at one point, we were just throwing names out, and somebody said Moon, which I loved. 
And then somebody else said rabbit, and I said, I'm going to be one rabbit from now on. So that's that kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, uh, I can't remember the... Uh, the names that Grace Slick from Jefferson Airplane called her kids and um, oh there were, yeah there've been some weird names New Moon, Moon Unit Data, I, think. I think Moon Unit Moon, yeah. Moon Unit was Frank Zappa's daughter okay yeah and Weasel yeah. was his son uh, doctors of course can't operate on themselves can a can a astrologer do their own chart or is it best to have another good astrologer do that astrologer's chart? Well, I, I would say both. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things that uh, I write about in Star Sisters is, is that uh, I was probably more prepared for what was happening with my twin than somebody who didn't know astrology because I had been watching a planet that typically is associated with really big separations in people's lives. Mm -hmm. I've been watching that, uh, you know, and seeing it coming for quite a while Mm -hmm. and worrying about it, I would say, so that when my twin called me from the hospital and said, you know, I have cancer, I knew because of the planet that we were in for a very, very wild and pretty serious ride. and. So I, I don't do my own horoscope, but you can't be an astrologer and not know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I go to other people annually and I get readings from them because I love other people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, you know, when you study something as long as many of us have studied it, then you, you can't put it out of your mind because yeah. you know what's going on. Linda, I'm going to take the top of the hour break. When I come back, um, I want to be very, very respectful of parts of your life that you're talking about in the book. Uh, And I want to ask you about uh, what happened with your father's friend, Shell, because I think it's so very important for those of us that have children and parents to understand would you permit okay. me to talk about that? Is that a subject we could talk about? I wrote it in the book, so yes, it's out there for everybody. Okay, yeah. and I will be respectful. Okay, uh, Linda Moonrabbit Zlotnick, she's got a brand new book out that's called Star Sisters, an astrologer's memoir of twin loss. I'm Scott Colborn with Colleen and Jim. And we are exploring unexplained phenomena. We'll be right back. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. Yeah. 
The KZUM Summer Concert Series runs every Thursday at 7 p.m. through August 1st at Stransky Park near 17th and Harrison. Next up on Thursday, July 11th, two great Nebraska songwriters in Omaha's Rascal Martinez and Lincoln's Andrea Von Campen. Plus food by Open Harvest. Special thanks to this season's sponsors, Dietz Music, Butheris, Macer and Love, and Shirts 101. That's Thursday, July 11th, 7 p.m. at Stransky Park. Find out more on Facebook and kzum.org. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And our special guest is Linda Moonrabbit Zlotnick. She was born into a family in Minneapolis. Her twin sister, Lou Ann, and Linda shared everything that twins could, a special relationship in many, many ways. Their mother became ill and suddenly one day, her father came into the kitchen um, brokenhearted and crying and said, your mother has just passed away. And the family uh, deals with that passing, Linda and her twin sister, Luann. And less than a month later, they're at a friend of the family of her father, the guy's name is Shell. And uh, Linda, are you, is it, you were babysitting? Is that what you were doing? Yes, yes. They, they actually were friends of the family, but they were also neighbors. Okay. So we shared a backyard with them, basically. And uh, Shell came home early, said that you could stay for the rest of the hour that you would be paid. And then he did something totally unexpected. Yes, he did. Do you want me to talk about it now? Yeah, I think it's important to to at least bring this up. So, um, uh, he sexually assaulted me. And um, he had... Uh, he had come over to our house, I don't know, a week or 10 days earlier. He, he was a person who loved gadgets, and he had a 
which was a massager that clipped onto a person's hand. Oh, sure, I remember and those. So then, yeah. So then, you know, if you rubbed somebody, it would be like they would, you know, get this. Like, remember those old beds in motels we used to put in quarters in the whole yeah. bed? I think mom and dad had one of those. Shake. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, he had tried this out at our house, you know, in, in the same room with my dad. And so I thought, well, there can't be anything wrong with this. So when he asked me, did I want a massage, I kind of thought, okay, it's not a big deal. But, um, you know, he got uh, he got a little bit too intimate with his hand and then uh, with his whole body. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to break free and, and run home. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it was terrifying. It was totally terrifying. His children were asleep upstairs. Uh, you know, he he was married. I, I never really thought that that those kinds of things could happen. First of all, I was seventeen, mm-hmm. you know, and he appeared to be a friend of the family, so it was extra shocking. I think mm-hmm. for that reason. And I, he used uh, terminology that was uh, designed to degrade you. And to put himself in a position of power uh, over you, uh, I in the yes, doc- he knew enough about he knew enough about my family to tell me that I was being selfish when I was uh, you know kind of objecting because that was something that he'd heard my mother tell me many times mm-hmm. that I was a selfish girl. So uh, yes, that was uh, psychologically, I think that very kind of torturous thing to do to a young person. I I appreciate you allowing us to talk about this because I think it's important, Linda, that that we have a society now where people can talk about this and those of us that are parents um, to let our, our children know of that fine line in the sand, what's appropriate, what's not. Um, yes. Things pro- he things was pro- way, way over the line. <laughs> yeah, things pro- things line. progress, and then you ask your twin sister Luann and your father to join you in confronting Shell, and so you go to his office and you do so. Uh, and what does your dad do? So as we're leaving, I, I, so I asked for an apology, which I kind of got. And as we're leaving, my dad turned to him and said, I'm really sorry that she had to bother you like this. I tried to talk her out of it, wow. which she had. You know, tried to talk me out of it many times. And it took me a very long time to understand why he could be so much more concerned about this person that I thought was basically no one, you know, a neighbor, mm-hmm. more concerned about his feelings than my feelings. And why Why was that, you suppose? What, well, I found out later uh, from one of my aunts that my father's father was an abuser. And uh, I know for sure that he was physically abused, but I believe that my father's father also sexually abused his sister's. And I think that the degree of discomfort that I stirred up, you know, because in that family, everything was secret. And so I kind of 
open the proverbial Pandora's box mm-hmm. by asking him to come and confront this person who had assaulted me. This is Linda Zlotnick. She's written a brand new book that's called Star Sisters, an Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. You and Luann uh, go about your, your lives. Uh, she's married. You're pursuing school uh, and then work. Tell me about the the relationship, the ESP connection. Did that exist even when you were separated by miles? Yes, yes. Uh, and this is extremely common among twins. So I, I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to mention that. Please do. Um, after my twin died, I became part of this group called Twinless Twins International. And obviously, it's for a twin who's lost their twin. And uh, through this group, I have learned so much about this kind of twin connection. And uh, one of the things that we will often talk about, so I was at my twin's bedside when she died. Mm -hmm. But many twins who aren't will actually get physically sick, Mm -hmm. like to the point where they're throwing up. And then they'll get a phone call, and they'll find out that their twin just died. So this kind of twin ESP, and especially about critical matters, uh, you know, like there there was uh, an instance where my twin got got into a car accident, and I didn't know what was going on, but I felt physically ill, and then I got a call from her. You know, she was okay, but she was going to the hospital. So um, I think it's much more common than people know that twins have this kind of, I think of it as a cellular connection mm-hmm. they have with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, so now I'll, I'm an oh, adherent okay, and fan of the idea that, that we are frequency and vibration and that we have this yeah. intelligent organization of those atoms and molecules that, that prevent those from just sprunging off like rockets into the, to the ether, that we have this cohesive... Yeah. Um, thing going on and so from that energy standpoint I can sure understand that twins would have that similar vibration that would be very very connected which which one of you was born first she, she was born 24 minutes ahead of me and my mother didn't know until her eight month checkup that she even was carrying twins oh, wow. so you know, it, it took the doctor hearing another heartbeat with a stethoscope because there were no sonograms or, mm-hmm. you know, there were, were none of those wonderful things that they have now. Did your so, sister um, ever, ever lord it over you that she was the older one? Oh, not only did she lord it over <laughs> me, but she actually was, uh, you know, my, my parents insisted because I was kind of a sickly young person that, that, you know, she take care of me. You're the oldest sister, so you take care of her. So, uh, yes, it was a kind of double whammy, kind of a double whammy in a good and bad way that she was older. And that was part of what was shocking to me that she got sick because I had always really looked up to her in this way that I think, you know, siblings do. And she had always seemed so strong and fit and put together. Given the connection that, that you had with Luann, your, your twin, 
when she became ill, did you have these natural thoughts of, gosh, I wonder if I'm going to become ill too? Yes, I did. And um, actually, I went to a genetic counselor and found that I was at greater risk of getting that disease, that she died of ovarian cancer. So, um, you know, later on, I took some preventative um, methods Mm -hmm. to take care of that because uh, it's such a terrible, terrible disease. Mm -hmm. This is Linda Zlotnick, and the book is called Star Sisters. An Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. At some point, Linda, you decided that your preference for gender was women, and you came out as a lesbian. Um, it's actually a sexual preference, because gender preference is something completely thank, different. Thank you for that, that correction. Um, so you came out. Yes, my sexual preference was for women. As a as a, a lesbian, what did your sister Luann think of that? She, she said that she'd had feelings and thoughts just like that herself, mm-hmm. and so uh, it didn't take that much longer for her to leave her marriage and also fall in love with a woman. Mm-hmm. When she was married to, was it Joe? Uh, yes, her husband. Uh, you sensed pretty early on that, that there were things that were not working there. And obviously in that relation, it was a man and a woman, but that you sensed that there was a, a disconnect going on very early on. That mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, they, they were not connecting. Well, uh, I, I think... They were, my, my son was 19 when they got married, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I understand much more clearly now that you don't really even know who you are when you're 19, and, and people do still get married at that age, but, um, you know, in part, so after our mother died, we became, we, we became the head of the household. We, we, you know, took care of our brother and our father, and I think in part, my twin got married to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty bad situation. So, yes, there were not things that were not great in her marriage, and that's true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I think she was like a lot of other young people who didn't know themselves very well. And, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. So. Um, after Luann passed... Did you, as a twin, as a family member, did you long for a connection with her? Some, some way that, that you could still experience Luann as your twin sister? Yes, I desperately longed for that. And um, the uh, sense that I had of loss Oh, was so profound. It was really, I couldn't really begin to cope with it. It mm-hmm. was, I, I, I mean, I can only explain it by saying that it was as if I died with her. Mm-hmm. It, it felt that overwhelming. How did you make it through that time, Linda? Well, there were a couple of 
things that really, really helped. And one was that I decided I would just grieve. So I stopped working and I just let myself kind of be, I would call it, I kind of drowned in my grief. I just went into it and I did a lot of suffering. And the more that I kind of allowed myself to feel the pain, the kind of easier it became to find the other side or a way through that pain. And it took a long time, but things started to change a little bit. And um, that was part one. Part two was that I was lucky enough to have one of the most wonderful people on the planet to be in a relationship with, my now wife, Mindy, who just stuck by me and never said, get over it, and never said, why are you sad again, and just said, I'm here for you. Uh, our daughters were uh, five and ten, and uh, they tell me now I still parented them, although I don't remember her, <laughs> but I was engaged in their lives. And then I found an amazing grief therapist in the Twin Cities who really, really helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the group of Twinless Twins, I would have to say that the, that finding other twins who had suffered this kind of loss, who understood that that really helped me a lot as well. Mm-hmm. How did the uh, uh, subject of astrology play into understanding both the illness and the passing of Luann, and then ultimately uh, what you refer to now as being an astrological death chart? Yes. So um, after some time had passed, I, uh, so after my mom died, and I became, after I studied astrology, so, you know, that was probably 10 years later, Mm -hmm. I started looking into the heavens to see if I could understand why I would have such a, really, you know, intense loss at such an early age. And there were some things that made sense to me, but I never really, like, uh, could grasp it. So after Luann died, uh, because I was there at the moment she died and I had the time, I constructed... So in astrology, you have a form for a birth chart or a natal chart, and now it's all computerized, which makes it very easy. So I used that format, and I constructed a chart for her moment of death, which then I called the death chart. And um, I didn't really start doing them in 2005. I started studying it in 2005. I didn't really offer it to my clients until 2015, so I studied it a good 10 years. And the more that I looked at this piece of paper symbolizing the position of the heavens, the more that her moment of passing made sense to me, and it made sense to what I would call not her, to her spiritual evolution and also to my spiritual evolution. Mm-hmm. So um, because I, as a person who was deeply bereaved, found a great deal of comfort in seeing the path forward or the path on the other side of her death, after about 10 years, I decided I could offer that to other people as part of my consulting. Uh, can a person still living have their death chart done, or is that something that one would do for a loved one? Yes, no, you, right, for a loved one who has passed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing death charts to predict 
person's death. I'm doing death charts to support the bereaved and understanding why the person passed at the time that they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did what did your sister's death chart help you understand about her illness and about her passing? Well, so now I'm going to get a little okay? But a lot of people who know anything about astrology know about a cycle called the Saturn return. And um, every 28 and a half, 29 years, there will be a planet will return to where it was in the birth chart, and this planet we're talking about is Saturn. And Saturn is the planet that symbolizes karma. It's the planet that symbolizes the hardest life lessons that we ever have. It's a planet that teaches people to stand on their own two feet and to be responsible for themselves. Mm-hmm. And the moment that Luann died, both of our second Saturn returns began. It was zero degrees, zero minutes. It was, I mean, it was, uh, the universe couldn't have done a better job in giving me the message that her karma had been fulfilled and that it was time for me to learn to stand on my own two feet. Has your sister, your twin, Luann, uh, has she reached out to you from where where she is now? Uh, yes, we have a fairly um, ongoing relationship in dreams. Mm-hmm. So um, in the beginning, the dreams were, uh, quite a few of them were visits where we could actually really chat with each other. And now she's just showing up as kind of a regular character in my dream life. So, um, you know, she's young and healthy, and uh, it's just always great to see her. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you're going to be, or should I say, remain connected with her uh, after? Uh, I actually think, think we'll be reunited. I actually think we'll be reunited. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, I believe everything's energy. And so, you know, there's some, mm-hmm. some land that remains in some form. And we, we will definitely be reunited. And as part of her passing, uh, she would kind of uh, go off into this alternative place where she would spend time with our mother. And, uh, you know, she would come back and she would say, you know, that... She would tell me our mother loved us, but had a hard time showing it. Showing it, and she just had a lot of messages mm-hmm. from our mother who had already passed, and so uh, it made me feel more secure that I would be together with her again as well. I know from reading your book that you and your mother had a a, a troubled relationship. Yes, we did. Has uh, has your aging and gaining wisdom and the study of astrology, plus your dream content, has it helped you to to forgive your mother? I would have to say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I started forgiving her even when my twin was alive. Um, but the more I understood about the heart,
hardships that she survived in her life and the lack of support that she had in her life, the more it made it possible mm-hmm. for me to forgive her. Uh, did did your parents, were they born here or did they immigrate from Europe? Uh, both of them were born here, first generation. I was trying to think back and I know that, that was it your grandparents that uh, that fled the, the persecution of the Nazis? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah. Linda, I haven't talked about this publicly in the show to a great extent, but I had a, uh, as I was a young man, I had a troubled relationship with my father, uh, who was a uh, an alcoholic. He was a guy that at times was the, the best father around, and at times he was a person that you'd want to run and hide from. And uh, truly a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde personality change as I got older, I began to understand why he was self-medicating, and it was because of right. what he went through in World War II, landing at Normandy and fighting through France and Belgium and into Germany and the Battle of the Bulge and the incredible stuff. My dad clearly was suffering from post-traumatic stress. Yes. They called it shell shock. And right. That was one of the respites that he had from from those horrible memories was to to be drunk or inebriated. That offered a little bit of of space in that. And uh, so my dad died early in 1980 because of lifestyle choices. And and uh, since then, I've I've come to a place where I've been able to educate myself to also come to a place of compassion and wisdom and to forgive him for some of the stuff I, the darker stuff I remember. Um, and I wonder if that's just a function of, Linda, of you and I and other people getting older and, and acquiring our, our wisdom. Yeah, I, I think it's really easy when you're young to you know, because places that other people are making impact you and they cause you suffering, it's easy to be mad and blame them. But I think as we live more life, it just becomes harder, you know, because things have reasons, behaviors have reasons. You know, people are, I believe, really doing the best they can most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so there's just so much suffering in the world, and it just seems to be leaking out everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so much suffering. Uh, we're going to take the bottom of the hour break. This will be um, a couple minutes longer. So if you need to freshen up your cup of coffee or use the restroom, this is a perfect time for that. And, Linda, before I go to my break, how was it for you as a astrologer learning about your craft to hear that Nancy Reagan, the wife of Ronald Reagan, the president, who was this arch conservative, she was consulting with astrologers. How, how was that? <laughs> it was glorious. I have to tell you. It was really a glorious thing to know. I, I found I that didn't care. 
Very interesting. Politics. Yeah, maybe, you know, it, it was the showbiz aspect that maybe allowed them to do that. But on one hand, here was the, the guy that was, because of his name, the father of Reaganomics, this, this uh, actor-turned-politician who had a charismatic ability to uh, influence people. And then it was leaked out that uh, his wife was regularly consulting with astrologers. And there was even speculation that, uh, that he may have been at times directly involved with that consultation as well. Do we have time for me to make one quick comment? Please do. Please do. Uh, so one of his State of the Unions started at seven minutes past the hour, which was unheard of. They always started exactly on the hour. And so those of us who were in the field did the charts. You know, if this started at X time, it was supposed to go on and then seven minutes later, and it was much, much more favorable to him to start it later. And, I mean, the rumor was already out that they were using astrologers, and that just confirmed it for all of us. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I found that, like, really entertaining that uh, here was somebody running the country, and he was using this wonderful tool that, mm -hmm. you know, I totally believe in. <laughs> anyway. I think it is also a wonderful tool. I have used astrology uh, both to understand myself as well as I had uh, uh, natal charts done for my children when they were born that I have locked away in the safety deposit box and those are uh, very interesting to get out now and see my kids are, are soon to be 25 and 22 um, and how they have grown and, and matured. Okay, um, so we'll take, our, we'll take our break now. This is Linda Zlotnick, and she also goes by Moon Rabbit, Linda Moon Rabbit Zlotnick, that is Z-L-O-T-N-I-C-K. A website for you. Is, my goodness, Linda, you're going to have to help me. I'm, I'm looking at my notes here. Okay. It's I feel, astrology. I'm sorry. I feel to copy down your website. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's astrologybymoonrabbit.com. Oh, I beg your pardon. And thank you so much. Astrology by Moon Rabbit. All one word. No space. Astrologybymoonrabbit.com. And, Scott, there's an even faster way to get there now. You can Google starsistersbook.com, and it takes you to the same website. Okay, great. Good to know. Starsistersbook.com. We'll be right back with our conversation with Linda Moonramit Zlotnick. The book is, um, and I just love the picture of you and your twin, Linda. The book is called Star Sisters, An Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. We'll be right back after this. Spider's lair. 
She's been spinning a web, and you can't wait to be caught. Your battle's lost, but Florence even fought. You try to keep your head, you know, you try to be cool. But a wicked little smile lets you know she's not fooled. You're walking straight into disaster. She's gonna eat you alive. Fat chance you'll survive. You're thinking someone ought to catch you. Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD. This Week in Lincoln is supported by the local venues with listings included here. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, June 29th, the Zoo Bar hosts a celebration remembering John Walker beginning at 6 p.m. And Mike Holland, Austin Barrett, and Augie Birch follow at 9 all-Knowing McGill is at Crescent Moon at 8, and the Amanda Pruitt duo comes to Bailey's Local at 8. On Sunday, June 16th, the Zoo Bar hosts the Jim Williamson Quartet at 5, followed by Zularius at 8, and City Limits and Mackenzie Jalen start at 8 p.m. at the Playmore Ballroom. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. 
Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena with Jim and Colleen and our special guest, Linda Moonrabbit Zlotnick, the author of Star Sisters and Astro Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. Our guest next week is Peter Biebergall. And Mr. Biebergall is the author of Strange Frequencies, the extraordinary story of the technological quest for the supernatural. Linda, as an astrologer, how, how do people find you? Is referred by a friend still the, the number one category? Um, yes, primarily, but I would say also the, you know, the website brings lots of people in. Mm -hmm. Astrologybymoonrabbit.com. And what are visitors going to find there? Uh, there's a list of a lot of different services that I offer. Um, there's a list of classes that are actually mostly for people in my local area. Uh, there's a link to the book. Uh, I mean, there's a page, there's a landing page for the book. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some of me, my history and background. There's quite a number of blogs. So um, a bunch of interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, when a person wants to seek you out for a consultation with astrology, how does one go about doing that? What are the steps or protocols? Uh, so the first thing is to go to the website, and then from the website, uh, there's a, a whole bunch of different offerings. And so once you've decided on, basically, uh, I'll just quickly say I do compatibility charts between two people. Mm -hmm. I do book charts like you had done for your children. I do a variety of different kinds of forecasts. Uh, then I do for the bereaved people, I do the death charts. And um, my site is set up with uh, an online calendar. And so that makes it very easy to set up a, an appointment, whether you're in my time zone or not, mm -hmm. because the online calendar adjusts to the time zone that you're in. And then there's a page that you fill out with your date of birth, your place of birth, and you do need an accurate birth time for an accurate uh, astrology session. And then there's a few other questions that I put in there just so I'm prepared when we meet for the first time or mm -hmm. uh, whatever meeting we're having. So for, for those of us that have forgotten where our birth certificate is, those are available usually through a, a county office. It's very easy now. Um, if you know the county seat of the state that you were born in, typically they have a phone number, and believe it or not, people still answer the phone. And if you don't need a birth certificate, it's free to get the time that you were born. And so um, I've had pretty good luck having people look up on the web, you know, the phone number for the Department of Vital Statistics, and to call that and to ask somebody to look it up for them. It's getting computerized in more and more states. And mm -hmm. so all they have to do is just look it up on the computer. They tell you your time of birth and you're set to go. Mm -hmm. And a 
Linda, for, for those of our listeners that don't have um, availability or ready access to a computer, is there a, a phone number also that, that can be linked to your office or to an yes. answering machine that we can give out to folks? Yes, it's 651-690-0377. Okay, and before the close of our conversation, I'll ask you to give that out again here. Sure. Uh, in our remaining minutes, if you had a chance to talk to the listeners about um, your passion of astrology and also how it's helped you and others to understand the loss of a loved one, uh, please, please go ahead. If I, if I haven't covered things, I'd like to have you jump in and, and go with it. Um, well, so I think that you know, when somebody we love dies, there are so many questions that people have uh, about, you know, why did this happen now, and could I have done something else, and um, for people who weren't able to get there in time, uh, you know, was the person really okay, and um, it's very interesting. I, I'm not, uh, I, I would like to gain more experience in this. You know, I'm not as experienced as I am with the other charts that I've done, but in the charts that I've done for people who have died, there are answers to a lot of those questions. And um, I'll give you one example is, uh, you know, somebody that I already knew that I've done other readings for um, uh, was really, really upset about the loss of her father, in part because she, she was traveling to say goodbye and she didn't get there in time and um somebody who was there noted the time of birth and i did the death chart and it was one of the most kind of peaceful harmonious charts i'd ever seen and so when she consulted me i was able to say this was a really really peaceful passage for your father and she just broke into tears she had felt enormously guilty that she was not able to be present at her father's side and, you know, she was worried about him struggling or, you know, having some pain or, but there was no indication of that. And, and so there's this kind of, I think of it almost as this magical shift that I see when I do these readings to people, you know, from their demeanor when they come in and their demeanor when they leave. And usually there's a sense that I get that there's some kind of a burden that's lifted from them. Mm-hmm. What has your relationship with Luann, your twin, told you in your heart of hearts about what lies beyond this physical existence? pretty much determined even before I lost her that everything was interconnected and that we were all energy and that we were much more than our physical bodies. And I would say that my experience with her loss and our continued relationship has only confirmed that for me. Mm -hmm. We are so much more than just the physical bodies that we inhabit. I've studied with... Uh a Jungian-based 
uh, individual, Dr. Jan Lindgren, who leads ongoing dream talk groups here in Lincoln on the second Sunday of the month at her, at her home. And uh, I have learned so much through the study and appreciation of my dreams. Uh, and I, I hope that your relationship uh, continues as strong and as vital with your twin Luann as you've described it on the show today through your dreams. Thank you very much, Scott. Yes, thank through your you. ESP connection, um, through that, that bond that uh, exists throughout all time and space. Uh, what, what does Linda Moonrabbit Zlotnick like to do for fun? When you're not working and helping <laughs> other people, what do you do for fun? Well, um, of course, I like to read books. That's not totally surprising, is it? Uh, I like to swim. I like to bike. I like mm-hmm. uh, very, very much like cooking. Uh, I brew kombucha at home because I love drinking it. Uh, I, and then travel so would be my other passion besides astrology. I, I'm a guy that travels by my stomach in that I appreciate different cuisines and Thai Curry House is a place I remember from the Twin Cities where they wouldn't let me have anything stronger than a number two on the hotness range. And they gave us, I think, an hors d'oeuvre that was part of a number three that just blew my mouth and my lips off my face. And there was an Afghani restaurant that we ate at uh, that we loved. And, of course, the old city cafe that's no longer... Um, and mm-hmm. uh, the Minneapolis Zen Center. Um, Guess that's still there. I had a chance to do a, a short sitting there, and Katagiri um, was still living at that time and was in the house, although I didn't meet him in person. And uh, I have been a couple of places where I felt that serene calmness that just incredible beauty, and that would have been one of those places was in that meditation hall. Uh, Linda, it's, thank you. It's so I, I, I didn't know you were at a family reunion, so I want to thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. And uh, I hope that you continue to make great memories. Uh, thank you for helping us understand the connection that twins have despite loss and also the subject of astrology and how that can be a benefit to us all. Thank you, Linda. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. We've been listening to the conversation with our first-time guest, Linda Zlotnick. She uses Moon Rabbit as a moniker, Linda Moon Rabbit Zlotnick. Her website is astrologybymoonrabbit.com or starsistersbook.com and the book is Star Sisters and Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss and Linda before before you go can you give that phone number again out one more time yes 651-690-0377 okay thank you Linda all the best to you yes thank you I'm Scott Colborn with Colleen and Jim. We had somebody walk in the air studio here. It's the famous Mr. Ed.
<laughs> Speaking of the Minneapolis-St. Paul North Woods area, Eddie, you just got back from up there. Do you want to come closer to Mike here? Yes, I did, Scott. And how was it up there? It was pleasant, very pleasant. It was chilly, it was rainy. It was just what I like in the northern Minnesota, not quite woods. Yeah. Are mosquitoes still as big as Buicks? Yes, but uh, <laughs> dragonflies are even bigger. Wow. Even bigger. Even bigger and hungry. I saw some of your pictures you posted on Facebook that were really, really good. It made me wistful for also being up there. Yeah, it's a, it's a very calming, peaceful place. And we stayed on the Mississippi River, which has been kind of dammed. This is way up north. The Mississippi River only starts like 50 miles north of here. But uh, by the time it gets down to Grand Rapids, it's still a good-sized river. Uh, and they dammed up part of it, and it has made a recreational lake. And so we stay on that lake, which has its name, but I just call it the Mississippi River Lake. Mm -hmm. How are the restaurants up there? Great. And, and how was the coffee? Wonderful. I stopped in several coffee bars that I had explored, and uh, hipster, hipster coffee bars. <laughs> really fantastic coffee, just amazing. The beat goes on, huh? You betcha. One of them called Spy House, which was, it's Gay Pride Month, and in Minneapolis it was Gay Pride Weekend, and so everything was decorated with rainbows. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic, and lots of wonderful people around. Luckily, I missed all the streets that they had closed up for the big parade they were going to have, and I was thankful for that, because I only know a few streets I only know my way around Minneapolis in just a little tiny microscopic way. Trying to get around through GPS and finding streets or blocked <laughs> I don't, off. I have Xeroxed copies of maps, Scott. Good. No That's GPS. Got to have one of those. I've got a state farm manual map in the back of my car, too. So, Ed, you're coming on with Beta Radio. And uh, that's coming up in just a matter of minutes. What's, what's in store for folks? Well, this will be my last Beta Radio. Oh, what's going on? I'm getting rid of you already. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have a permanent show starting July the 16th, which cool. is a Tuesday afternoon at, starting at 1 o'clock. Good. So this beta radio has been something that uh, I believe is correct for the station. It allows people who have not had a show for a long time or have never had a show a chance to practice in real life condition. Throw them to the lions, throw them in the fires, that type of thing. And so... Uh, uh, it's been very, very helpful in learning how to do this stuff. Tuesdays, July 16th at 1 o'clock. That's right. And what's the name of the show? Variations on Jazz and Creative Music. Okay. Same as it was in 2003 and beyond. And uh, today, do you have any theme or is it just... Oh, it's going to be uh, some jazz fusion. The F word. Uh-oh. Jazz fusion. Okay, good. It's kind of a, I've been reading a lot about it lately. And it's kind of this uh, genre of jazz that was uh, not well-liked, and it was a blend of, of rock and jazz, kind of a fusion, mm -hmm. really guitar-heavy. Yeah. Sounds interesting. I, uh, Eddie, I remember the, the first time, because I thought um, I was pretty full of myself as a younger guitar player, and I thought, man, I can really handle things. And I was playing on stages and hanging with people, and then I heard the jazz fusion guitar player, John McLaughlin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my jaw dropped open. I have never been the same. And I literally, I almost quit playing guitar because what he was doing was so far out there. It made sense, but I couldn't understand it that I thought, 
my God, here he was. I thought I was pretty damn good, and I, I know nothing. So you were humbled. Oh, yeah. Did you assume oh, yeah. he had maybe 12 or 13 fingers? Yeah, two or three guys <laughs> playing at once. Wait, he always had, he had that double neck guitar. Yeah, in, incredible musician. So uh, I'm glad I kept playing, and I've come to, to really appreciate that genre. So, Okay, some great radio coming up with Ed Rumbaugh. Beta Radio Today. And then his show actually starts Tuesday, July 16th at 1 p.m. And uh, we'll look forward to that. So way to go, Eddie. Boy, the talk with Linda today about that area of the country and then Ed coming back from that Minnesota area, boy, it just makes me want to go up there. <laughs> so, so we turned into a commercial for Minnesota, kind of. <laughs> I have so many fond memories of that. I mean, so I mean it, it, it's a good time to go to Minnesota because it's, as as far as I'm aware, climate hasn't changed for them yet. So and and uh, we we have visitors at work that come from the Burnsville, Minnesota facility, and you always know who they are in winter because they're the ones that walk outside without a jacket on <laughs> and a short sleeve shirt. And, yeah. Well, it's not cold. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really cold in Minnesota when the young people zip their coat up in the winter time. Yeah. <laughs> It's, that's it's, when it's really cold. It's it's kind of it's kind of like living in North Dakota cuz like for a time sure. for a time I lived in Bismarck. Um and my brother my brother just kind of connected the dots that it's a German name. It's it it was hilarious watching his brain work. Um but you know, I I moved from Bismarck to Minneapolis and St. Paul and I lived in I would I lived in St. Paul for a couple months and I quite liked it. It was an experience. It's a, like for people like me, you know, you're, you're, you enter like, especially like your school system where you have much more options in terms of what you want in terms of your education, public school education. It was something that changed my life. In a great way. And we're, we appreciate you yes. being here, Colleen. Yeah, so. Jim Colleen. Happy Independence Day. Happy Independence Day. And to contrast what we just talked about, it's 89 degrees Fahrenheit outside with a heat advisory today. So oh dear. you have been duly advised. Stay cool. Stay tuned for Mr. Ed Rumbaugh and some fun music on Beta Radio. I'm Scott Colborn. Please keep listening. Thank you so much for all your support and walk in beauty. <laughs>